Great to have you here. Welcome. We're in the book of 1 John. Please turn there if you would in your Bible. If you don't know how to get there, you've got a phone, then make sure you get there on your Bible app. Just type in 1 John. You'll be right there. If you want to use the old school version, they're right in front of you in the pews. 1 John, ask a neighbor how to get there. There's a table of contents provided for you. You'll be able to get right there. The book of 1 John, which we've been in for several weeks. And today we're going to try to capture all those themes that go different directions. Make them into a coherent whole and understand God's call into our lives through his great word. So yesterday I am uh, grabbing a little time by myself. And I went to this coffee shop and I got myself a mocha. And I had... I had my book there, and I was going to just read and spend a little quiet, you know, and I, I was outside, so I weren't, you know, it was a little cooler, so most people were inside, I was outside at this table, and I was just enjoying my little quiet space there, reading my book, and um, a, a lady pulls up in her car, and she's behind me, I can't see her, but she comes behind me, and she parks her car, and she gets out, and she walks past me, and as she walks past me, she says, oh, I'm so sorry for the dogs. And she keeps walking. I'm thinking, that's odd. And she, as soon as she turns the corner, I hear this dog going, bark, 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 starts barking. And then multiple dogs are barking. And I'm like, what's going on? I turn around, and then they see me and make contact with me. And there's seven dogs in this car, and they're screaming like crazy. They're barking, barking, barking. And then, I've never seen this before, one dog gets on the horn, and it's jumping up and down the horn. Bong, 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 bong. <laughs> like, that's the craziest thing. People are coming over and looking, what's going on in this? The lady comes out of the coffee shop. She says, oh, I'm so sorry. She starts talking to the dogs. They all quiet down. She walks back around the corner. Ah, there's chaos again. I'm... Well, she warned me, right? <laughs> this morning, I'm warning you. When we're in First John, God has some really rich, deep, but transformational things to say to you. And I don't know if you've taken the time to look into the book as we've been going through this series, but as we connect all the themes, I hope that will be moving to you. And I just want to warn you, I've got an agenda here. The first agenda is that as you leave today, that you will love and follow Jesus more than you have been. More than you did when you first got out of the car and started walking onto this campus. That you will love and follow him because of our time at First John. And second is this, that we spend this time together in the word. But this is just an appetizer. It's intended to whet your appetite. If you come and your time here with us on a Sunday morning is your only time in the word. The reason why you're not getting fed enough is not because of what happens on a Sunday morning here. It's because you're not getting into the Word. So make sure this week you read 1 John and let it speak to you. It's rich. It's powerful. And finally, my motive is this, is that you will learn because of God's Word how to shine better. John, as he writes this book, he's got a big picture theme in mind. He's got an idea that he wants to communicate. And it's this. It's a call to you to come out of the darkness and into the light and shine. Come out of that old way of life 
that you once lived in and that you're tempted as followers of his even to step back into, into the darkness where all the wreckage and the pain and the hurt is, all those old habits that destroy you, step out of that and into the light of the presence of the living Lord Jesus who seeks to transform you and make you different. Come out of the place where you can bump into things and you can't see, you don't have vision, and step into the place that's healthy. Because in the darkness, you're stuck. And there's no growth in the darkness. In the light, there's spiritual photosynthesis where you can actually grow and be engaged and grow closer to him. Come out of the darkness, live in the light, and shine. And scripture uses those metaphors of darkness and light throughout. But John in particular uses that metaphor to help us see clearly that there are distinctions of my old way of living and the new way. When Jesus said, I am the light of the world. You know this passage, right? He was communicating this very thing. Not just that that's who I am, but I'm calling you to abide. There's that word we see in 1 John a lot. Abide in me and to live in the light, in the place where you will shine. I love how Paul in 2 Corinthians calls us crackpots, right? We are broken vessels, and the light of Jesus shines through those cracked places in us so that the world, our neighborhood, our schools, our places of work could actually experience the luminosity of the Lord Jesus Christ, his glory through us. Imagine that crazy plan of God. It's remarkable that he has this agenda for us. And those words that Jesus uttered, I'm the light of the world, I think that they inform John's perspective and his passion about this. Once we were in absolute darkness, as Pastor Ray mentioned a couple weeks ago, like we're in this depth of this deep cave and we can't see even our hands in front of our face. But men and women, we were not called to live as mole rats. God has something far greater and better for us that's life in the light so that we might shine. We are to become, as the visuals before us taught us in this shine series, lanterns. So that a light in dark, uh, a world in darkness could experience what light, specifically the light of the Lord Jesus Christ is like. And John teaches a fundamental first step in the process of how to shine. We should be asking the question, if God made me for this, as a follower of his, to live in the light and shine to others, how do I do it? And that's what John answers in his book. And we're going to get to that. And the first step is this. You are a beloved child of God. Believe it. Own this. Understand it. Let it seep deep into who you are. You are a beloved child of God. Think about the wonder of that. At 8.30, we gather with a group of people and we pray. And one of my dear friends, Alice Matthias, she always uses this language in her prayers. Oh, Father God. She knows that she is the beloved's. This is her dad, her Abba, Father. That's who you are. You're a child of God. And that's why, actually, John uses the language repetitively in this book so that you might have this solid understanding and believe it. I love how Pastor Nate said it last week. He said, 
loved people love people. Isn't that great? Loved people, if you understand that you are beloved by God, the God of the universe, then you can love people. But if you don't catch that, you're going to be caught in your bitterness, in your self-centeredness. You'll never be able to actually extend the love of God to other people who are thirsting for it. So that begs the question, does God of the universe actually really love you? Is that really true that he does? Listen, all of life pivots on that question. Does the creator of the universe really, truly love you faithfully, fully, truly? If he does, how does that change the way that you view yourself, your insecurities, your broken places, that you are faithfully loved by him deeply and sacrificially? And if that's true, then you ought to have confidence in your relationship with him. John speaks of this in chapter 2, verse 28, chapter 3, the very beginning of chapter 3, and again in chapter 5, verse 11 and on. He says these words in chapter 3. See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. And so we are. We're children of God. With all the temporary and transitory relationships that we have in life, there is one that we can have utmost confidence in that will always last. And our real security is found there. It's the essence of our identity. We're children of God. It's remarkable, isn't it? Hello? It's remarkable, isn't it? That we are the children of God. The agenda of the evil one is to convince your heart that God does not exist. And that if he does exist, he couldn't actually know about you. And if he does know about you, that he couldn't possibly love you. That you are not a beloved child of his. But all that's hogwash. It's all wrong. The truth of scripture says it. That you are his child. You do not have to doubt these things. Know it in your heart with confidence, regardless of what you have done or left undone, regardless of your achievements or lack thereof, regardless of your skill or education or physical beauty or lack thereof. You are His. Isn't that good news? And as an expression of His great love for you, God has a direction for you, a purpose for your life, for my life. And it's imperative that you understand what he is doing in you. That you understand what he's doing in you. First John speaks to it most specifically in chapter 3, verses 2 through 3, and in chapter 5, verse 20. Hear these words again from chapter 3. Beloved, that's you, right? We are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. Look at the person next to you. They're not what they are or will be one day. God still is working that out in them. But we know that when he appears, Jesus appears, we will be like him because we shall see him as he is. We will know him fully and then we'll reflect him fully. Pastor Chi and Pastor Ray and Pastor Nate all refer to this. This 
process of me reflecting the glory of God as I look into it, as he purifies me, and I look into the pure image of Jesus Christ, and I start reflecting his glory in me. And he uses all kinds of means, people, and circumstances to do this. One means of him purifying me, John mentions at the end of his book. He says it's this. When you see a friend, a brother, or sister in sin, what do you do about it? Do you look at them and say, oh, there's Paul. He just blew it. Man, that makes me so grateful because I know I'm at least closer to God than he is. Right? I'm, I'm at least closer than Paul is. Do you look at another person and become judgmental and say, man, that guy is not really a Christian. That woman, she's not a Christian like me. Or do you do what Scripture compels us to do, which is to pray for them? When you see a brother and sister struggling, your reflex, the reflex of love, is what Jesus did for you when he saw you struggling. Because you were his beloved, he brought you to himself. He sacrificed himself. And all scripture says is, pray for that person. I want you to look around this fellowship right now. There are people that are different than you. Isn't that good? (laughs) That's really good news, actually. And not only that, but there are people that are struggling like you, with sin, with the struggle of gossip with the struggle of whether they're going to have integrity when they pay their taxes, with the struggle whether they should hide that DVD or their place on, that, on the internet or let it go, step out of that darkness and into the light. There are people that need you to pray. And I'm asking you right now, I'm going to give you bandwidth to start praying for people around you because we do not become the people of God and enjoy the purity that God has called us to unless we pray for each other. So, I'm not going to just say it. I want you to pray it right now. Would you just take a moment around you, maybe just one person, look across or up in the balcony, wherever it might be, and have that person in mind, and just come to the Lord and ask for their personal purity this week. Go ahead. I'm going to give you space right now to pray. Just pray out to the Lord who loves them. They're his beloved, and they, on God's heart is their purity and wants you as part of the process to pray. Lord, thank you for these dear friends here, and I pray for their purity, just as I long for their prayers for me. For me, God, give them an affection for the light, an avoidance, a willingness to run from the darkness, and create your image, your pure image in them as they see you. This week, Lord, be at work, have your way. Jesus' name, all God's people said. Now, John, one thing I love about John is that he does not get bogged down in Christianese or spiritual phrases, religiosity. He just helps us understand these sharp contrasts between my old way, the living in the dark areas, holding on to those spaces in my life that are broken and in wreckage and habits 
practices that move me in that place of darkness and keep me there and moves me to another place that's in the light, that's right, that's pure, that's good. And when John speaks of this, he uses a particular word. Actually, in his gospel, he uses it 84 times. That's a lot. It should tell us something, right? If he keeps repeating it that many times. And here in 1 John, we see the word seven more times. You'll find it in key text in chapter 3, verses 23, and chapter 5, verse 5, and chapter 5, verse 13. I want you to listen to a couple of them. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. That you believe and you express it by loving one another, just as he has commanded us. 5.13 says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know, have confidence in, that you have eternal life. Now that word that John uses, believe, really is the word beloved. Leonard Sweet, who I had in some doctoral classes, has written this. The root of believe did not originally mean noodling intellectual assent. It meant to give my heart to, to hold dear, or to love. And for centuries, believers understood that. When they said, I believe in Jesus, they were not saying, I believe in this long doctrinal dissertation. Now, the truth and doctrine is important. It's vital. But what's actually being said is, who do you give your heart to? Who do you give all your affections to? Who's capturing your attention during the week? Who are you living for? That's what John is saying when he uses the word believe here. See, the evil one believes, giving intellectual assent to the life and the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. But he does not love You are called to be the beloved ones who beloved Jesus, who give your affection to him. Why? Because he first loved you, 1 John says. 1 John 4, 19, we love him because he first loved us. And so we believe or beloved him. Those of you who know the German language know the word for believe, believing. And at the root of that word is the word love. I think they get it better than some of the English-speaking people here. This is our affection. When we say we believe in Jesus, we say he's got our heart. He has our attention. He has our affection. And I follow him because of his great love for me. John underscores in 1 John how that frames our spiritual life. Although the truth is obviously important, and he speaks to that. John's heart and his first focus is this loving relationship we have with God. That's why he uses family language. Throughout the book, he's using relational language. He calls them dear children or beloved. Look in the book again, and you'll see all this relational language that's being used. It's because our love relationship with God matters, and it's precisely what distinguishes Christians from all other world religions, that we have a love relationship with God Most High through Jesus Christ. You are a beloved child of God. Believe it. 
Believe this and own it. Let it seep underneath your skin. In a wonderfully challenging way, John doesn't leave us there. He calls us out by teaching us, you're a beloved child of God, so act like it, right? Act like your beloved. Don't just own it in your heart. Let it express itself first, we're told, to leave the darkness or leave sin behind. That challenge comes to us in 1 John 1, 5 through 10, chapter 2, 1 through 5, chapter 3, 4 through 10. Here are the words in John 3, 4 through 6. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness or anarchy. Everything's out of control. Sin is lawlessness. No boundaries, no protection, just destruction. You know that he appeared, Jesus appeared, in order to take away sins. And in him, there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Now you might ask, wait a second, Ron, how is that even possible? How is it, how is it even possible for me to stop sinning? Even a saint Like Lori over here, occasionally she sins. So how can I possibly measure up to that? How is it possible for me to be a sinless person? Well, in the first place, John tells us and calls us to, in the very beginning of his book, to be a people that are regularly taking care of sin, not living in the darkness, not hiding sin, but bringing it before the Lord, being real and transparent, he says, confess your sins. Get right before God because he's faithful to you. He's not bailing on you when you confess your sin. He just says, yes, I already knew that. Thank you for telling me. Thank you for owning it yourself. I knew that. And he's just because his son died on the cross for your sins. He says, yes, Greg, I forgive you. Yes, Ron, I forgive you. Yes to that. Confess, be real before the Lord. Refuse to live in the secret places of darkness and bring your sin to the light. And John, if you notice, repeatedly used this word practice. Don't practice sin. And don't be with other people that are practicing sin. Sin, that that keep repeating this sin and keep practicing it and it goes deeper and deeper into your habits and your reflexes. Stop doing that. Instead, practice righteousness. Practice living in the light and get people around you that practice righteousness. For years, I was had the great privilege of coaching baseball and our baseball teams did really great. And the reason why they did great is that we practiced, we out-practiced other people. And we practice the little details, the small things in baseball to be great. And we gathered in a culture other people who are passionate about practicing the right things. That's what we're hearing of in 1 John here. Practicing righteousness, not practicing darkness. Staying away from the damage of sin because that leads to anarchy or lawlessness, a life without guardrails. But practice 
righteousness. JaVale McGee plays for the Warriors. He's having his best season. There's a reason why JaVale is doing well this year. He's around good players. All right? He's around people that get it, how to practice and how to do well. They've raised his game. And that's what John is telling you. Be around people that raise your game, that actually help you practice righteousness and get better at it. John also connects part of this practice of right living to this fundamental thing, that we confess Jesus and follow him. That we confess Jesus and follow him. 1 John 2, 6-17, 4, 2-4, and chapter 5, verse 2, state this, that we are to confess Jesus and follow him. He says this in chapter 4, starting in verse 2. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. John makes it really simple for us, right? There are some black and whites here. If you confess who Jesus is, you're from God. You're his beloved. You're in his family. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus is from God is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, there's that affectionate phrase again, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. There's that great phrase, right? You've heard it a lot. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And it happens in this connective thought that we are his And when we confess Jesus, we can have confidence that he is ours. And he who is greater that is in the the world, he is ours. And he is with us. Notice that context. When you hear the line of argument coming from someone that questions the existence of God or questions the historical fact of the crucifixion, you know exactly where that comes from. It comes from the evil one trying to subvert people's confidence in this great truth that we are his beloved and we are called to act like it. We are called to live in the light as God's confessing people, confessing that Jesus came into the world, that God in the flesh was Jesus to save the world from sin and darkness. And he accomplished that by dying on the cross for our sins. And those who place their faith in him are now his beloved children. That's what we confess. In the last several weeks, we've had the joy of seeing people come to faith in Jesus. This is our mission at Bridges, that we would make disciples of every people group, every ethnos. That's the heart of what our mission is. And our vision for what's going to happen in the near future is connected, that we would see a thousand new people become disciples, come to faith in Jesus. In the last several weeks, we've had people make that step across the line from darkness into light. And we want to celebrate that and keep it in front of people. So we've created this light bright over here. And who's my guy that's going to help me out here today? Thank you very much, Mark Bartlett. Those of you who don't know Mark Bartlett, would you just... Welcome him and greet him. So Mark is the, uh, 
chair of our elder team for a few more weeks, and he's bailing on us. He's not bailing on us, actually. He's, he's taking, we, um, in our system, just a church, doing church, they can serve for six years, and then they have to take a break. And uh, it's a blessing for them, so they can take a break from me. But, um, so Mark has been serving faithfully in this role, and Mark, just go ahead and start putting cups up. We, we really have been blessed over the course of this, the Mandarin and Cantonese ministry outreach we had, and, um, a course of camps that we've had. And I know that um, Bill and Ann have had someone from their class come, right, to faith in Jesus. So we've had 13 people who have come, just come to faith in Jesus. We praise God for that. We want to see a 1,000. And we're going to keep putting these cups up in our little light bright as people come to faith. Now, these are just the people we know about. I know that they're in a group of fellowship our size. There are people that you're leading to faith in Jesus. You're making disciples. You're the disciple makers, Right at this, and when you find out about that, we just want to know and celebrate it so we stay on track with our mission and vision so everyone can see it and say, Yeah, that is what we're about at Bridges. We're about people placing their faith in Jesus. And every time we hear about it, we'll start putting up more cups and we'll all celebrate together as a fellowship. So I leave sin and I begin confessing Jesus and I follow him. Listen to the way it's said. In chapter 2, verse 6, whoever says he abides in him, there's that word we've been talking about the last several weeks that actually I am connected with him, I abide in him, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. In the first century, much like our own time, there were all kinds of convoluted theories about how people did the spiritual life. What God wanted out of people And John makes it actually really straightforward. If you're a child of God, you ought to live like him, right? That's not that complicated. You ought to start following in his steps. Last several weeks, I've been um, jogging up uh, the hill up um, Pleasanton Ridge. It's beautiful up there right now, by the way. It's fantastic. And yesterday, I was up there, and this huge rainbow pops up. I was was delighting. But um, when it happened right after the storm, I was jogging up there, and I got stuck in the mud, and I lost my shoes. Both of them popped in. I was like way deep in the shoe. My shoe came out. I'm like, oh, man. I should have been watching where I was going. I should have been putting my foot where other people had already gone. That's the imagery for us. Not to get stuck in the mud, but actually to follow where Jesus walked. And if you wonder what that looks like, start reading the Gospels again. Start thinking about How did Jesus respond? How did he treat the opposite sex? What did he do about taxes? How did he treat his relationships? What kind of attention did he spend on his prayer life? How did he care for the disenfranchised? How did he resist temptation? How did he treat his desire to achieve? All those things that are so central to our wrestling How did Jesus do that? And step there. Just take that step and practice it. Keep practicing that step. Think of this room as a laboratory, as a place to start practicing. And John actually graciously gives us a starting point for our imitation of Jesus. He says this, really? Get ready for it? Love your brother. Right? Love one another. That's what he's saying. Not real complicated, right? 
you start here. If you want to reach your neighborhood and your world for Jesus and actually shine and make a difference, you start in this room. I know, you thought it might be easier, huh? You look around at the people in this room and you think, wow, really, they're all different than me. Some have different personalities or come from different countries or have different backgrounds or different preferences or whatever. You know what? Scripture calls us to start here, to practice by loving one another. It calls us here in 1 John, in 1 John 3.16 and 4, 8 through 12 and 5, 1. Listen to the words in 4, 8 through 11. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Who? Because God's love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, made known, tangible, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to. You knew that already? then what's the deal, right? If we know that, then why aren't we practicing it like we really should? Really authentically giving our hearts to this so that every person who comes on this campus would experience tangibly the love of God because they know they're loved. They know they're surrounded with love. Our dear friend Gary Parker just lost his wife this week, Letty. We love Jesus. I had some rich conversations with them. And he was here in the first service. And I was watching people just go up to Gary. This love on him. That's the power of the family of faith. When people actually experience the tangible love of God. And there are people in this room who have come. And they need to be loved. They need it every week. We have to make sure that we pay attention to this great call of God for us. To love one another, and to treat this as the laboratory, the teacher for us to love so that we might love people in our places of work and neighborhood and our school. We might learn to shine. This is the beginning point, that we love one another. And we just speak into each other's lives. We give affection to one another because we are eternally related, whether you like it or not. We are the family here that needs to be loved. And from that point, we move out and we actually shine. We start shining in our places, in our neighborhoods that God has called us to shine the love of Jesus in very tangible, practical ways, to to confess Jesus before them with our actions and our words. I want to call you this morning, because 1 John does, to shine to be people that step out of the dark ways of living, your old ways, and into the light to shine for him, to be radiant for him in your neighborhood where God has called you. You know, Acts 17 actually tells you that there's a reason why you're living in the neighborhood you're at right now, right? It's because God orchestrated it, and he put that neighbor that you might not even like next to you. Why? Because they need to see Jesus and to experience the love of Jesus that you can bring in your neighborhood and shine. So we're calling this fellowship to be faithful to shine. And we want you to be praying about this. 
If you're committed to shine in your neighborhood, we have this tool right here. We're going to ask people to shine in their neighborhoods all over the area. And, and what we want to do is turn your attention to shine in this place. We're going to worship. We're going to engage in singing our worship back to the Lord. And as we do, I'm going to ask you to stand and go over there and grab a pen for you and your family and just sign. Don't be John Hancock and like do the you know, 15 you know, foot signature, but won't you sign the area where you're committed to shine so we know where people are shining the gospel here. And you'll join those people in the first service. And we'll be doing this for the next three or four weeks. So if you want to think about this and pray about it, that's great. If you want to do it after the service, that's fine too. But as part of the service and our worship, we're going to invite people to come and sign. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. To know more about Bridges Community Church, please go to our website at bridgescc.org.